Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is December 30th, and it's our final podcast episode of 2020, finally. Uh, I am David Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss the recent off-season moves around the league, uh, a rumored Josh Hader trade package, uh, some Brewers injury news, and some more of our favorite Miller Park moments. Joining us this week is Adam Rigg, although you may know him best as Brewer Nation on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Adam, uh, welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I always love podcasting, and the best way to podcast is to talk about the Brewers. So. Absolutely, and, and the best way to talk about the Brewers Cheers. is with a beer. <laughs> so I've got my trusty Miller Lite here in a trusty Miller Lite koozie uh, as well. Matt, what are you drinking over there? Um, I am, it just so happens I'm drinking a very aptly named Plowed In, uh, <laughs> which is perfect for the snowstorm we just got, um, by MKE Brewing, one of my absolute favorites. Um, yeah, the timing couldn't have been better. Uh, Adam, what do you got over there? Well, uh, I know that reviewing the beer and the brew is kind of the theme, but for me, I was up from 1 to 3 a.m. shoveling so my wife could leave for work this morning and shoveling some more uh, from about 8.15 to 9.45, and then we went to Ikea. So I'm drinking a scotch uh, tonight, Johnny Walker Platinum. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Johnny Walker. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. All right. So that's that's how you start off strong, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. Um, so this past week um, in baseball, nothing really happened at all. Just, you know, Blake Snell got traded. And then a few hours later, you uh, Darvish got traded and Hassan Kim goes to the Padres and the Padres are gobbling up everybody. Uh, the, the Tampa Bay Rays sent Snell for a huge package. Um, no, that was kind of the first move to really happen. Uh, Adam, when you look at the the Snell move and now Snell coming to the National League, coming to the Padres, what kind of impact do you think that would have, if any, on the Brewers and and their chances for the World Series? Uh, well, I, I think that any Brewer fan who's willing to kind of put the fandom aside and, and think rationally, there we're not talking twenty twenty one. We're not. I mean. With the pandemic, with the uh, impact to the financials, whether or not they actually lost money or just made less profits, we can argue semantics, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of money, (laughs) or at least I don't think we're going to see Mark Atanasio spend a whole lot of money this season. So it's going to be as best as they can do to kind of piecemeal it together again like they did in 2020, but hopefully with a little bit better performance out of the guys that they put together on the roster around Christian Yelich, who's locked up, and around returning Lorenzo Cain, who's hopefully going to be right back into form. You know, there's a lot of talent on our team, but and our pitching is good, but realistically, World Series 2021, you know, you're you're going to see the eternal optimist that I play on Twitter uh, absolutely going, you know, supporting that all season long. But, uh, you know, a guy like Blake Snell, uh, a guy like Hugh Darvish behind him, uh, signing the the guy coming over from uh, Japan, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, Korea. the, the KPL. Yeah. Um, so you put all that on a team that's already loaded offensively, uh, already has some solid pieces in their rotation and a couple of really strong bullpen guys. They, they lost a little bit in their bullpen. San Diego did, but they stole Drew Pomerantz from us. Thanks to giving him a four-year contract, uh, last off season. Uh, and he performed great. So they're really from top to bottom, from left to right. They really have a strong lineup, a strong pitching staff. And Blake Snell is one of those pieces that any team would be really a whole lot stronger just adding him. But when you add Blake Snell into San Diego's rotation, he's what, number three, number four, maybe even? Like, he's tremendously talented. And a guy who doesn't want that you don't want him to pitch a ton of innings each start, like Tampa Bay never did, even in a Cy Young season, if you look at his innings pitched, uh, it wasn't that high. So in San Diego, you've got a couple of horses and a couple of guys who, you know, they don't need those innings out of Blake Snell pitching third or fourth in their rotation. So it really makes them a dynamic team. It's going to be fun to watch them all season. And assuming the Brewers actually get to play the National League West this year, I'll be looking forward to that series in Miller Park for sure. 
Yeah, I think, uh, David, you wrote up the piece on this one, and the part that kind of struck me the most of the three points was the fact that it uh, kind of takes them out of the running uh, for Hader, being one of those teams. You know, they have added so much to that team. Um, they're It's amazing how much they've added to that team while keeping their very top prospects in place. Like, how he's done that is just out of this world. Preller, uh, someone on Twitter said he was a magician. They're absolutely right. Um, but I believe that was friend of the podcast, Robert Murray. Yes, that, that is correct. Um, so it's hard to imagine that at some point they're going to run out of assets to keep bringing guys in. So I have to imagine that Hater, now that they've added pitching and pitching and pitching, um, like you said, probably not there. And so in, in the way that it affects the Brewers most for us, I would say um, that's my strongest points. Um, we still have no idea if anything's really going to transpire. I, at the beginning of the offseason, you know, I feel like both of us were kind of moving up and up and up in the percentage that it was going to happen. And then after, you know, talking with a couple guys here on the podcast, Salmon and McKelvey and whatnot, um, it really started to dip the feelings about him actually moving. And I think the more you hear about, you know, it has to be an absolute blow me away trade package, which we always knew, Um and the longer, obviously, that we go into the offseason, um, the less it uh, looks like that's actually going to happen. And um, that's one team uh, off the books, I guess, to actually do that. Yeah, that's really kind of something that, you know, I looked at. And that was even before the Darvish trade that I also said that. And then they trade for Darvish. And that takes away even more prospects. And, you know, after having those two big trades for those big time pitchers. And I mean, they, they've kept like the top of their farm system. They, they've kept Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, Luis Campusano, and Robert Hassell. They, they've kept their top four guys. They haven't gotten rid of them. But, you know, now, like if they were to try to go for Hader, it would probably have to cost one of them for David Stearns to agree to a deal. And I, I think given where the Padres are, they really don't need to do that. And they were probably the best position to make a Josh Hader trade you know, before all this happened. And they had the desire to get him. They, they were interested in him at the trade deadline. And they, they were looking at it then, but they decided against it, uh, presumably because of the price. But now it, it's another thing where they just, didn't go with it, and, and that takes them out of the running. I think the Dodgers are out of the running as well after they acquired Corey Knable. They don't really need to go get Hater, And, you know, then you're left with the White Sox, who could possibly uh, want to make a deal for, for Hater. Maybe the Yankees, who Robert Murray said is actually kind of the ideal fit for a Hater trade. Um, and, and then possibly the Phillies who have a need in the bullpen, but they also don't have very many assets to deal. So, yeah, the, the number of, of suitors for Josh Hader seems to be getting smaller, and it's tougher to, to trade them. And then, like, like we were talking about there with the Darvish news, you know, he leaves the Cubs. The Cubs get Zach Davies, and Zach Davies in a Cubs uniform is just going to be so weird to see. Uh, but the Cubs get Davies and then four rookie ball prospects. And, you know, going from you Darvish to Zach Davies in the rotation, as much as I like Davies, you know, as a person, as a changeup specialist, you know, I, I like Zach Davies. But he's not going to replace you Darvish. And those prospects are years away from contributing. So the Cubs, Adam, it seems like are, are taking a big step back and putting the NL Central even further up for grabs. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that sentiment more, especially with the rumors after Darvish got dealt of the, the Cubs shopping Wilson Contreras. I think that mm. anybody who's talented and making money, <laughs> they, they, it's dangerous right now to be them in Chicago, at least on uh, the north side. There's, it, It's... it's it's weird to think that a team in Chicago with all of their financial resources also has to pull back. You wonder really how far reaching this uh, pandemic and all the loss of that ticket revenue really hurt all these teams. Um, but if 
Chicago's, you know, putting on a brave face and doing stuff too. It makes me think that, you know, maybe these guys are hurting a little bit, these guys being owners. But yeah, with Chicago uh, presumably taking a step back, uh, so certainly hurting their rotation. Uh, you, we all know what their bullpen was last year and until Kimbrell figured it out late in the year for somehow. Um, uh, he was, you know, that whole bullpen has been suspect for a, a couple of years now, except for Jeremy Jeffers. You know, we love him. At least I do. Um, <laughs> and he was great. But, uh, you know, offensively, we, we saw some struggles there. Um, Chris Bryant didn't do well. Javi Baez didn't do well. You know, he blamed the lack of video access, which I think hurt Christian Yelch a little bit too last year. Uh, Rizzo, fairly solid. I mean, we can go around position by position, but the fact remains that these Cubs were strong in the division last year. These Cubs, uh, you know, postseason bound. Uh, this is, is this the end of their dynasty that they were supposed to have once they won the World Series finally? It, it's weird just uh, with all the talent that was on that club. Um, it, it, maybe they bring back John Lester, maybe they don't. But this team is certainly taking a step back. And it would be very nice, you know, tying it to Josh Hader, keeping him, moving him. You know, that's obviously a decision to be made. Stearns has publicly gone on the record, as usual, uh, already this offseason and said that, you know, they're not motivated to move Josh Hader. He expects him to be in the bullpen opening day. So unless somebody really comes in and blows you away, it's almost you wish the Brewers could I don't know, go into the red a little bit, maybe take out a loan, maybe Mark can call up his rich <laughs> aunt and, and, you know, quote some cash his way, uh, just to take advantage of this opportunity. Because uh, St. Louis has said they're not really adding, uh, you know, and they possibly might lose Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright this offseason. Who knows? But, you know, they're not necessarily adding. The Cubs are, have already subtracted, might subtract more. The Pirates are terrible. And the Reds just lost, or well, they're about to lose Trevor Bauer uh, with whoever else they might get rid of. So, uh, you know, they've already subtracted from their bullpen, for example. Um, it, it's a really, it's a juicy situation for the Brewers to, to possibly try to jump on, make it four straight postseason appearances, and maybe, you never know, once you make the dance, anything can happen. Uh, see, there's the optimist in me coming out already. Um, <laughs> but to be able to do that, keep Hater, you know, make a run. Um, you mentioned losing Corey Knable, which might have hurt if he was, you know, 2018 Corey Knable. And then you hate losing the guy like that, um, numbers-wise anyway, performance-wise. But, you know, like I said, there's an opportunity here with the Cubs taking the step back and everybody else doing what they're not doing. And it would be nice if the Brewers would jump on that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say with the Cubs um, because, like you said, they do still have a lot of talent. But it's hard to know how much of that talent is going to be left after all is said and done. Epstein had said, you know, that potentially they were going to have to make some cuts right before he conveniently got out of town, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, they've got that whole trio of players that are not more than a trio, because, yeah, Bob, Bryant, Rizzo, um, Baez, Contreras, potentially probably why he's being shopped, that, you know, they all need to be paid. Um, they were all uh, had options picked up, I believe. I don't remember Contreras. Um Contreras has two years of arbitration left. Two years left. Okay. Um, Contreras, by the way, if if they shop him, who the heck are they going to put at catcher? Because Caratini went along with uh, Darvish. So, I mean, I'm glad that's their problem. Um, this is why David Stearns has been hoarding catchers. <laughs> yes. He's playing chess. Over here. Um, but then, yeah, Josh Bell being gone from the Pirates. Um, Raciel Iglesias, um, like you alluded to, from the Reds, they talked about... Um, Sonny Gray and Castillo potentially being shopped as well. They could be taken, everyone could be taking a step back and the Brewers kind of are just where everyone thought they'd be right now. Like all the moves that they made to this point largely were expected. Um, and so that's why it just, it feels like just a couple moves, maybe at those corner infield spots. And Hey, you know, I talking to a buddy at work, you know, I likened, Next year's NL Central possibly ending up being like the NFC East of this year, <laughs> where it's gonna could be just a bunch of rough teams, and you know what, yeah. whoever ends up on top, I guess they get a playoff berth. Um, it, it's hard to say. That said, um, just like us, these teams also haven't finished their off season. There's still some moves that can be made. Um, I did see John Heyman today, I believe it was, um, posted that the Cardinals are potentially interested in bringing Colton Wong back. They declined the option 
for financial reasons, but could still figure out some agreement. So you never know what could happen there. But um, yeah, it just, there's a lot. Although, you know, as I'm looking at the calendar, it really is a month and a half only until pitchers catchers report, hopefully. Um, So time is dwindling a little bit, but there's still time for, unfortunately, all of them to start making some moves as well. Hopefully it's us. Yeah, I, I really kind of think you nailed it there with um, the offseason. Like, the Brewers, like, Corey Knable, everyone kind of figured he was going to get non-tendered with the salary he was he was at, his performance in 2020. You know, everyone kind of figured it would happen coming off a year where there were no fans, very little revenue. If it was a normal season, I mean, I feel like Knable, he would have had the the rehab assignment. He would have been able to come back stronger. He would have had a lot more time being himself rather than just the two weeks he had at the end of the year, uh, which made um, non-tendering him the easy call until the Dodgers came in and said, hey, we'll give you a a minor league pitcher for him instead. And Stearns basically is like, why not? So, yeah, that that was something that really kind of wasn't unexpected. Uh, And and then when it comes to the Cubs, they're three of those players that you named, Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez – they're all entering their final year uh, of team control. They're all going to be free agents after the end of next season. The Cubs, they're not going to be able to re-sign all three. They're going to bring back at least one, I'm sure, but maybe two, but they're not bringing back all three. So, yeah, that dynasty in Chicago, quote-unquote dynasty, is really kind of nearing its end with that core that they had. And this is really kind of the time for the Brewers to step up because, I mean, yeah, Cubs are stepping back. Cardinals are losing some key players. And this is really kind of their time. They have an opportunity. The Brewers aren't losing that many impact guys. You know, they've lost Corey Knable, but he wasn't really an impact in 2019 or 2020. So you're just losing a potential impact there. And if they can just add a couple of pieces um, they, they should be they, they should be good to go and, and possibly the front runners for the division, but they have to kind of add to those corner spots. Um, and that's really kind of where waiting on free agency and figuring out if the DH is going to be uh, in the National League next year or now, which is I'm, which is what I'm sure David Stearns and the rest of the National League GMs are waiting on. Um, but Stearns also got some uh, other news today on, on one of his players. Jacob Nottingham uh, underwent thumb surgery. So spring training, as you alluded to, Matt, about six weeks away. It sounds so close, doesn't it? Six <laughs> weeks away from the scheduled beginning of spring training. Uh, but Jacob Nottingham undergoing thumb surgery. Um, Adam, ha- have you seen anything extra on this? I didn't see anyone put out like a timeline for his return. Uh, but what do you think of Jacob Nottingham undergoing thumb surgery just before New Year's? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't expect it to affect him going into spring camp. Uh, it, I mean, it, depending on what it actually was that he got fixed, if it was like a tendon or, you know, the, the sheath injury or, you know, because they said it was sprained back in the playoffs uh, or in the postseason. And he had been dealing with it for a couple of weeks leading up to that, if I remember correctly. And he was just, it's on his catching hand, and he just kept getting pounded on the thumb. So I would assume, especially given the fact that they delayed the surgery in the first place, they're not worried about timelines here. Uh, I would think maximum four to six weeks. Uh, and really, if he's, so long as he can keep his legs working, he can keep his legs healthy, you know, squatting, doing what he needs to do there. And he probably misses a few reps with the bat between now and then. Um, but really, I, I wouldn't expect this to be much uh, of a worry for David Stearns. Although, again, he does have 87 catchers on the 40-man roster. So maybe he's, he's covered there if something else uh, gets delayed. But now Nottingham, if, if we've learned nothing else from you know watching him the last couple of seasons when he's been able to be up, he is tough as nails. And uh, he's a guy that obviously can catch through a lot of pain. And eventually, you know, he succumbed to that injury. But uh, I, I wouldn't be too worried. But I saw one guy comment on uh, Adam McAlvey's tweet. Uh, Why did they wait till now? Why didn't they get it done right away? He had a baby. Or his, his, you know, lady had a baby. So it's it's like, give the guy a chance to do family stuff before he has to get into rehab. I have, again, 
if they waited until now, I have no doubt that they're unconcerned with the timeline of him coming back. Uh, and so the fact that he's out of options, uh, I think that, you know, they have to consider that. So if he were to be delayed or something goes wrong or, you know, relapse or whatever, you know, then he just ends up on the IL. But yeah, short-term prognosis, I would say, is probably very, very good. And we can, uh, whether or not we see him in the big leagues catching for the Brewers this year, I mean, that remains to be seen. But, you know, expanded roster again, do you carry three catchers? What do you do? There's all decisions to be made. And luckily, like you said, with uh, spring training a little bit away yet, they don't have to make those decisions right now. Yeah, first thought I kind of had was, would this affect, you know, any potential trade if they were to actually try and move Nottingham? But I was, I kind of came up with about the same as Adam as I was trying to look for it um, in the time in between hearing about it and the recording tonight. Um, I got about six-ish weeks from what I saw as well. Um, I don't think that would put too big of a um, roadblock into anything like that. We, we've only kind of just wondered if that's even a possibility. Um but because of the fact that he doesn't have those minor league options, something's got to happen with him. Um, if, and we don't want to hear this as fans, if the season were to be delayed until May, as uh, Nightingale had reported that the league is thinking about doing, that would actually benefit him potentially because then he'd be all nice and healed up by the time uh, spring training starts, sort of in the same way that um, the delay of the season was supposed to help um, Luis Urias's injury last season until he got COVID and then got delayed again. Um, so, you know, he would be the one guy who, if something like that did happen, Hey, that maybe helps him out a little bit and then puts him in position to compete for a job, um, which he's going to have to do to be able to make the 26 man roster. Um, outside of that. Yeah. I, I don't think from anything I was able to figure out that it's super duper, um, serious either. And, and like you said, Adam, um, the team would have had him do it earlier if it was something that was going to take longer to recover from. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that it's really just kind of, you know, interesting to see happen. And, you know, I, I remember that happening in the, in the playoffs. Uh, he was catching Josh Hader, I, I believe, and yep. just, you know, too much movement on the slider or on the fastball or whatever nastiness that Josh Hader was throwing caught him on the thumb like two or three times in a row and he's just in severe pain because like it, it's like when you bite your cheek or, or something and they just like keep on like biting it after that little thing pops up like he had that one bad catch that that like jammed his thumb or hurt his thumb or whatever and then like the next three pitches all hit that same spot and he just could not catch a break and yeah it, it just it just happens sometimes, especially as a catcher. Yeah, so it's unfortunate for Nottingham, but like you said, Adam, I mean, the Brewers have so many catchers already that, that they can uh, work with. And, you know, even if it takes him a little bit of time and, and he misses maybe the first week or so of pitchers and catchers reporting, it, it shouldn't be too much more than that. Um, but, I mean, looking at the catching depth, I, like Luke Maley was signed a couple of weeks ago. I, like this is just something that I'm just kind of like thinking of. Has anyone seen the salary that Luke Maley signed for? I haven't seen that reported anywhere. Like, ha- have you seen that anywhere, Adam? Uh, I'm, I'm getting I, puzzled looks. <laughs> well, I, I, if I did, and usually you'll get something like that from a, a Nightingale or a Heyman, but it's such a minor signing, maybe they didn't bother. Yeah, if I did, I don't remember it. Uh, I got nothing so far. Uh, baseball <laughs> reference doesn't have anything, so I know that. Um, yeah, yeah. I I had not seen that either. It's a good point. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's been like a month, and no one's reported how much he signed for. Oh, we'll we'll have to ask. Um, we'll have to like send a tweet to McAlvey or Hodgecord or someone, and and try and figure out what that is. Um, but anyways, moving on. Um, as we kind of alluded to earlier about you know possible Josh Hader trade uh, destinations uh, going forward. And now the Padres kind of being out one team that could be in might be the New York Mets and Jim Duquette of MLB network had his thoughts on uh, what a possible Josh Hader to the New York Mets trade could look like. And frankly, 
um, I was uh, confused by it, and <laughs> Adam's showing a big yes, thumbs down. Uh, so you've seen it as well. So here was the proposed trade package, or the proposed trade between the Brewers and Mets for Josh Hader by Jim Duquette of MLB Network. The Brewers would get either J.D. Davis or Andre Jimenez and Corey Oswalt for, in exchange for Josh Hader and a mid-level prospect from the Brewers. So the Brewers are giving up Hader and a prospect for one of either J.D. Davis or Andres Jimenez, um, a third baseman or a shortstop, and a 27-year-old out-of-minor-league options right-handed starter in Corey Oswalt. Uh, Adam, this deal is a mess. Uh, that I think that's insulting to messes. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I looked at the graphic uh, after you said that we'd be talking about it because I hadn't seen the proposal to that point. Uh, I've been behind on Twitter. I've been driving the last couple of days. Uh, my kids up north and, and back uh, beating the weather yesterday, whatever. But, um, I mean, good God. I, at first, I, th- I thought I was reading it would be both of those guys and the pitcher, and that's like... At least he solved two problems, even though, I mean, Jim Duquette himself, I watched the, the YouTube clip that that screenshot came from in preparation for the podcast. And even Jim was saying, oh, it's just a couple of fringe guys that you don't really have a room to play. And, you know, so you're not really hurting with what you're giving up. And, it, you know, and then you get something great back in Josh Hader. Well, yeah, no kidding, Jim. I'm glad you got New York bias going on, but good Lord in heaven above, is that just a terrible idea for a trade? I mean, J.D. Davis is a fine player, especially if you get 2019 J.D. Davis. And Jimenez has that positional flexibility and, you know, he, he can cover you defensively. And he's not terrible at the plate, I guess. Uh, and he's still very young uh, with a lot to prove. But, again, the, the pitcher doesn't do anything for me. Um, and just, we may never get, a, you know, a Roldis Chapman type deal and I hate bringing up his name because he's a horrible human being by several accounts, but you know, you're not going to get that type of a package at this point for Josh Hader, especially if you move him this off season with people not being able to spend money and not wanting to, to give up, you know, too much and have to, you know, cover Josh Hader's arbitration cost and, you know, whatever. So if you're looking to move him now, you may be best to wait until the trading deadline, uh, let him continue to do what he does and wow people, you know, for the first half of the season and then really, you know, push one of those guys, if it's the Dodgers who need to get past the hot Padres or vice versa, you know, if it's somebody in the central or the East who just really needs to, to make a move, then maybe you get somebody to, to pay what you closer to what you want. But thankfully the Brewers have coverage. Uh, if they were to move Josh Hader, we're not getting into that right now. I know, but uh, it was a terrible idea on paper. Um, I don't know how, and God bless Jim Duquette. I don't normally dislike his work, but uh, I listen. I like him when he's on, you know, MLB Network Radio, for example. But that is just pandering. I think that was for SNY uh, was th- that he was on TV for that. So it's it seems like blatant pandering to me. And it, I expect better out of him, to quite frankly. Uh, but really, it's just I can't imagine David Stearns even fielding that phone call for more than twenty seconds. I had a similar reaction. Um, I like J.D. Davis, um, you know, yeah, like you said, tw- uh, 2019. Um, took a little step back last year, but still very solid on base percentage. I started looking up Andres Jimenez. Um, he was, at the end of 2019, he was the Mets' uh, number three-ranked pro- pro- uh, prospect. 60-grade um, hit tool, 60-grade arm, 60-grade fielding, 55-grade running. Like, all right, I like this guy. Okay, but he, you know, plays third base. So, you know, where is he going to fit? And then I look at it again and I go, wait, or? Like, yeah. <laughs> Davis or Jimenez? Like, hold on one second. And then, yeah, I did the same thing with Oswald. And that's just, okay, yeah, great. And I mean, swap it, Peter it, for it, it Oswald. That really helps our pitching. Yeah. I just, if, it, uh, if it was in his prime Roy Oswald, yeah. then I'd be intrigued. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. I would do that, but. <laughs> 27-year-old Corey Oswalt, who has an ERA of 6.19 in the major leagues. Uh, no thank you. And then, um, uh, just to top it all off, 
here, have one of our mid-level prospects, too. <laughs> you know, since, since we got such a great side of this deal, just take some uh, little sweetener with haters. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And can we throw in $3 million to help offset that cost for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here, why don't we give you Josh Hader and you know what? Let's let's throw in Aaron Ashby or someone and, and just you know to help you out because we're taking so much from you. Like, oh my goodness! Like, I have proposed some bad trades in the past, okay? <laughs> but wow, <laughs> like this this was something. I mean, like I I think I said in, in the article that I wrote about it, like the Brewers would have rather had a rookie ball pitcher that's a complete lottery ticket than Corey Oswalt. Like David David Stearns, if he likes anything, he likes guys with minor league options. And Corey Oswalt is out of those. So for me, he's an instant no-go for David Stearns. Yeah, and I don't know if Corey Oswalt's a starter. I honestly didn't look uh, after I saw the raw numbers. But they don't need help in the bullpen. And they probably don't need that kind of help in the rotation. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they really, they really don't. And I mean that there are so many other better trade packages that could be somewhat closer to realistic um, that they could make with the Mets, but also at the same time, like Stephen Co- Steve Cohen, the, the new owner of the Mets, who has been tweeting a lot actually like about like how things are going, which I find quite refreshing. But because like he commented on the Blake Snell trade and he's like, hey, yeah, Blake Snell, Blake Snell's a great player, but you saw the prospects they had to give up. We don't really have that. We got to kind of build up our farm system. So like we, we couldn't do something like that. So for me, if the Mets are going to go for a big time reliever, they're going to try to pay for Liam Hendricks or Trevor Rosenthal or one of those free agent relievers as opposed to trying to give up prospects. Um, or their backup infielders or whatever to get Josh Hader. Yeah, and, and that's I was thinking about that when you guys were talking about San Diego before <clears throat> and how they might be off the board for a Hader deal. But that's another team that they've got major league talent that they could potentially part with. And it, they were talking about after they signed um, the, the kid from Korea, I always forget his name, but after they signed him, they were talking about, oh, does Jake Cronenworth become super utility man? Like that's the runner-up rookie of the year. Like you want to put a package to, around that guy and a, and a prospect, and you know maybe the Brewers would be willing to listen. But you know, teams don't necessarily have to deal from the farm. You know, you got a team like the Dodgers that's got oodles and oodles of major league depth. You know, there are, there are ways, creative ways for teams to put something together with maybe a major league proven established piece along with prospects to maybe make that work too. Because yeah, the Mets do not have a farm really to speak of. Um, and oh man, what I loved to get Jared Kellenick, local boy, oh. uh, in, a, in a deal uh, for Josh Hader myself. But um, that's neither here nor there. Oh, and I, and while we're going back real quick, I looked it up on Cots and Luke Maley, uh, eight hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for the year. Oh, okay, I had not seen that. Yeah. Hey, if the Dodgers are willing to, we'll take Gavin Lux. That's fine. We'll yeah. figure something out with Josh, Josh Hader for him. We 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 would be willing to accept that burden. <laughs> yeah, Gavin Lux, man. I, I wish the Dodgers would be willing to to give him up for Hater. Like I would even do maybe a one for one Hater for Lux. Would, would you guys do a one for one Hater for Lux? No, no, no. But Lux would be for me. He'd be a hell of a centerpiece, and you wouldn't have to add in a ton more. Um, yeah, not, I, I like Lux and I like the fact that he's an everyday player. Um, but I, I don't want to get rose colored glasses just because he's local. You know, I, I still need to try to, you know, take the step back and, and look at it. But I think he's got the, all the potential in the world to be, uh, prodigiously, uh, you know, good for somebody. But if he's limited to second base, that hurts him with the Brewers necessarily. Uh, you know, you could move him to the outfield, I guess. They're kind of covered there too right now. So, you know, it's, yeah, I, I would need more probably than a, a one-for-one, and I know the Dodgers fans would probably say the same thing, but. It's one of those where you wonder, uh, David's brought this up in the past on how uh, 
Dodgers, the Dodgers are really good at trading away the prospects that don't end up panning out necessarily and hoarding the ones that do. And so you wonder what there, because everyone values their own players and prospects more. So you wonder how the Dodgers would actually value him versus Hayter um, and what they would be willing to part with on top of that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Gavin Lux is a guy that, like, I think he might be able to handle third base um, if he can uh, get over there. But, like, like he was a shortstop coming up, but the Dodgers have Corey Seager. Then at third base, they, they had Justin Turner. So they really had no other place to put him but second base. Um, but he's a guy that I think he should be able to uh, handle a position like that. I think he's got the arm strength for it. Um, and the Brewers could put him there. He's got the bat. He's he's got the power ability to do it. But yeah, that, that's something where you you really just kind of need the Dodgers to be willing. Like it, it's all about finding a team willing to to give up those guys. I mean, the Brewers would right. take a, a whole you know bunch of different packages. Like yeah, oh, yeah, we'll we'll take this guy or, and that guy. But it takes an, another team being willing to give that player up. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure Stearns <laughs> has a lot of packages that he would absolutely be willing to take for Josh Hader. That's why he listens. That's why he answers the phone. Um, but yeah, it's about finding a team that's, uh, you know, like you said, willing to part with the ask. And that's why, you know, Stearns isn't going out there shopping him. He's waiting to receive the phone calls. And, and that's the smart play because he's got the leverage still and got the advantage with where Hader's at uh, contract wise. E- even, you know, now that he's in arbitration, um, it's still advantage Brewers for right now, at least. Yeah, speaking of arbitration, we've got to have that uh, coming up here pretty soon. David, do you know the uh, deadline on that? Uh, I think it's January 15th for the arbitration filing dates uh, between um, the players and the team. So currently it's only Brandon Woodruff and Josh Cater that are going through that um, because everyone else signed those uh, pre-arbitration deals. And the Brewers could still try to come to something with with both those guys, but... um, it's probably going to take down until about that deadline for, for them to come to that. Um, but there was something that when, when we had Adam McKelvey on the podcast, he suggested that when it comes to spring training, that the Brewers would be interested in uh, talking to Brandon Woodruff about a contract extension. So Adam, is a contract extension with Brandon Woodruff something you kind of think would be a possibility to happen this spring? Or do, or do you think with, all the money issues that teams are facing that the Brewers are going to hold off on giving them a contract extension just yet. Because I mean, now is kind of the right time with where Woodruff is at in, in terms of his development, his team control, but because of coming off the year that they had, it may not be the, the right time because of the financial situation. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, it's a legitimate concern. It's something you have to, you have to take into account at the same time. I don't. I didn't look at trade rumors, arbitration projections, what Woodruff stands to make roughly. But you know, you could always lessen the financial blow for 2021 if you do extend him. You know, make that like a, a signing bonus and push off some of that money into later years. Even if it's you know you do a nice bump in 2022, the way you structure the deal, there's a lot of flexibility they have with the way that they can manipulate the contract language and they can manipulate the bonuses and when to pay things out, you know, escalators and all, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think they could, you could look at it as an advantage to, uh, to extend him right now. So you could take some of that, you know, burden of whatever he's going to make in arbitration uh, in 2021 and actually kind of kick that can down the road a little bit. Once the fans are back, once you're making some money again, once revenue sharing is a thing again, um, like it wasn't in 2020. So all those things should be working in the Brewers' favor conceivably starting in maybe even later half of this next season. Uh, but 2022 for sure, you know, God willing, things are back to relative normalcy by then, um, or at least total normalcy. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it could be to their advantage to pursue it. I think there's no reason why Woodruff wouldn't, you know, be open to at least talking about it, his agents or otherwise. Um, but financials aside, I do think it's the right time to talk to him about it it's he's shown in my opinion the ability to overcome the adversity that you need 
to be able to overcome to be at the top of a rotation in baseball. And whether it's him or Burns, assuming Burns, you know, continues on his uh, trajectory that he's started on now, uh, whichever guy gets the ball on opening day, you know, the most in the next few years, uh, wherever Woodruff pitches, is going to pitch one or two right now based on the makeup of the roster. So, you know, he's he's shown the the ability not to everybody. He's shown where he can get down, where he can be in a funk where he, you know, hitters are getting to him a little bit and he's shown that he can refocus. There's an interview with him. Uh, I forget exactly when it came out, but he was talking about how he had to, you know, go through some things to, you know, refocus and to regain, you know, some of his mechanics and, you know, to be able to, I think that's what I want to see out of a guy before I really want to broach the subject of extending him, especially with a starting pitcher type is a, can you consistently get through, a lineup multiple times, uh, preferably at least three. And then how are you once the league starts to adjust to you and you adjust back and you inevitably hit that next wall, can you power through it? And I think Woodruff has shown us, especially over the course, I guess it's about 18 months or so, um, but really in 2020, uh, back to 2019, he's shown us that he's that guy, at least for now, that he can really take that next step he can overcome that adversity, you know, that he's the type of guy you'd want to lock up long-term. You don't want a, a flash in the pan type. Um, and hopefully he can stay healthy, knock on wood. I'm like Jimmy Nelson, for example, who, you know, had his similar ascent cut short. But, yeah, I think we're just the right guy f- uh, for that discussion. And like I said, if you can use that to your financial advantage too, all the better. Yeah, Woodruff um, projected anywhere from 2.3 to 4.5 for arbitration. So we've got a bit of a wide range because they've got uh, MLB Trade Rumors has the model where they've got kind of a few different possibilities um, for arbitration. Um, and we know Stearns likes uh, backloading those contracts recently. You look back to Freddie Peralta's, um, the one that he signed last offseason. You know, it starts off with him making, um, you know, $1 million, a whole $1 million in base salary um, starting next year and then escalating up to eight by the end of the contract. Now, that's not to say that um, Peralta is completely comparable to Brandon Woodruff. They're not. That's not apples to apples. But does it mean that you could potentially work some sort of contract that is backloaded where you could get Woodruff under that $4.5 million, that's the top end of the arbitration, put yourself in a little bit better position financially when you know 2021 could be rough on payroll 2022 we don't know if that one potentially would be as well for the team um right. so yeah i think it's absolutely um worth a look and at least worth initiating the conversation yeah that, that's something where you look at the, the those two sides and it really does make a lot of sense for for both sides to really want to extend this and continue this the Bruins have been looking for a homegrown ace for a long, long time. Um, I mean, they, they've had Giovanni Gallardo for a couple of years. He was, you know, a solid guy, but I don't think he was ever really a true like ace, like among the league. He was he was a, a number two, um, but you know that they had Ben Sheets who flashed ace at times, but he also got hurt a lot. And yep. you know, this is something that the Brewers haven't had in. A very, very long time. Maybe even, I don't even know if they've had a homegrown true ace. Like, the, I mean, w- would you consider Teddy Higuera an ace back in his day? You know, y- you can get into all those guys from the from the 80s teams. But a, a true homegrown ace is something that the Brewers haven't had, um, at the very least, in a, in a long time. And now that they, they essentially have two at the same time, and Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. And as I've stated multiple times before, I do believe Corbin Burns is going to win Cy Young Awards in his career, uh, that it's going to happen at some point. Um, and, and perhaps Woodruff could be right there with him. And, you know, with these two leading the rotation, the, the strength of this Brewers team is the pitching staff. Finally, for the longest time, the strength has always been on the offense. And while there's nothing wrong with that, you also need some strong pitching. And now the Brewers really kind of, they, they have that in, in Burns and Woodruff if those two are able to, to remain healthy going forward. It, it just bears repeating with that pitching staff being strong, both the starting and the bullpen, 
you add just a couple of pieces, those corner infield pieces, pair that with, you know, there's got to imagine Yelich is going to bounce back. Is Hira going to look a little bit more like his freshman campaign than his sophomore campaign? Um, Narvaez has to go back to average, right, at the very least. All those things happen with the division the way that it is. I mean, that there's possibilities there. Um, lots got to happen with not a lot of payroll, but uh, in, there there's a chance. And, and like you said, you just got to get in, and then anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, you could again. We're not. I don't know if we're going down that rabbit hole, but Lorenzo Cain obviously gave you nothing last year. Yeah. For good reasons, uh, and I've. And I said this on Twitter when it came out. David Stern said the same thing. Obviously, El Garcia having to cover center field and run so much, it hurt his legs. Uh, he didn't have his legs most of the season. It hurt his offense. So he has a lot of room for a bounce back as well. Um, yeah, there's definite room for improvement. Uh, hopefully, Garcia keeps it up. Uh, and hopefully, everybody else rebounds back to where you know they were in, in relative position and, and you could do some things. And yeah, it's there's definite potential for for a lot of fun on this team and not to you have to remember even with everything that went wrong they were still roughly a 500 team and yeah they qualified for the postseason we don't have to get into that of course uh whether or not you think that was worthwhile but uh, you know if everybody else is taking a, a step back like we talked about at the beginning of this of the episode if everybody else is kind of taking that step back and the brewers can just come back to the mean and maybe add a piece or two then there is potential for if somebody's going to win the division, assuming they play 162 games, if somebody's going to win the division with 85, 86, you know, there's no reason that that can't be this Brewers team with this pitching staff and a little bit better offense. Yeah, and the place that they really need to add some is at the corner infield, and, and David Stearns has said as such they need to get better in, in the corner infield. Um, so looking at the free agent market or the trade market, uh, is there any guys, Adam, that, that you kind of have your eye on as – Brewers targets that you really kind of want them to to go get that you think would be great fits in the Brewers lineup. Um, man. Well, I, how how realistic do I need to be as far as uh, finances go? I mean, Justin Turner would fit really well on this ball club, I, I think. Um, yeah, just talking free agents. Um, I mean, there's a handful of guys that you could probably bring in that would do corner infield work well. I, I have a good feeling about Dan Vogelbach. I don't want to discount that. So we'll see what he can do. He's not going to hit 400 over the course of the season. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, he, he should provide a whole lot better than we got out of that position before he got uh, to Milwaukee last, this last year. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't – I can't really – dream a whole lot with the free agent market because anybody that you'd really want is probably too expensive for the, the Brewers in this offseason especially. I wouldn't mind bringing Jed Jerko back if, if they can work that out. I like what he gave the team uh, personally, and he can cover both corner and field spots. I don't know that you want him starting necessarily, um, but at the same time, when he finally did get to start in this past season, he did pretty damn well. So um, you, you want to that, – that's what obviously – I'm sure you guys have covered it ad nauseum, but that's what Stearns was going for. You, you try to get some of these guys that have the ability to bounce back and hope that they do. And, and that's what Jed Jerko really did. So if you can get, you'd like an established guy. I would have loved to see Eric Thames come back, honestly, uh, before he signed in Japan. Uh, the news that just came out the last couple of days. But eh, I don't know. Anybody that I'd really dream on, like a Justin Turner, for example, uh, I think it's going to be too expensive for the Brewers to really consider it this offseason. So I am i don't want to piecemeal anything. And if we have to trade something to get a legitimate, like, big deal corner infielder, uh, I'd be willing to entertain that probably more easily. At least I think it'd be entertained more easily by the Brewers than a free agent at this point. Yeah, I think when it gets to um, the corner spots, like, yeah, it, it's really kind of tough at, to find, like, legitimate everyday starters at, at those places. I, I think one guy that could be is C.J. Crone. I, I think he can be an everyday first baseman that, that would really fit in the Brewers lineup. Matt and I have kind of talked about that on, on previous episodes uh, and on the site. We really kind of like him, um, and, and he would be a good fit. 
Uh, you know, there, there are a couple maybe blocked prospects or like big league ready guys that don't really have a spot on other teams uh, that really kind of could fit, kind of like with what Stearns did with Luis Urias last year. Urias was kind of blocked at shortstop out there in San Diego by Fernando Tatis Jr. So Stearns traded for him to kind of give more of an opportunity in Milwaukee. I think that's something that the Brewers could kind of look at it at third base or first base. Um, trying to find some of these guys. I had an article um, on it go up on the site the other day. Uh, a couple of guys, um, maybe from Arizona or Oakland, that, that I'm looking at. But you mentioned it also. We haven't talked about this yet. Eric Thames goes over to Japan for like $1.2 million, I think it was. And everyone's like, oh, you know, why couldn't the Brewers bring him back at that price? And I mean, first of all, the Brewers still don't know about the DH, so they're still holding on uh, for that market. But what was very interesting was that a few hours later, after it was announced that uh, Thames was signing with the Yomiuri Giants in Japan, Justin Smoke, another former Brewers first baseman, signs for $7 million also with the Yomiuri Giants in Japan. So now the Giants have two former Brewers first basemen, and they signed Thames first, and then they signed Justin Smoke, who's probably going to be the highest paid player in in Japan. And it was just, it was crazy to me to, to see that. Were, were you kind of surprised seeing the contract that uh, Justin Smoke got out there in Japan? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, they definitely value their defense more uh, in that league than uh, sometimes the uh, the MLB does. And I said, the MLB, can you edit that? Because I was going to say the league, and I wanted to make sure I said MLB. <laughs> no, I think they they paid up a little bit for um, getting Smoke to go there in the first place. And I think that they paid up a little bit for the defense. But yeah, that's still, to me anyway, that's a ridiculous dollar figure that it's like the Mike Moustaka situation. You have to take that contract that the Reds offered you. Like nobody else is going to give you that much money over that, that many years. Um, we know that that's why yes, money Grandal went to Chicago is because he wanted to give the Brewers the chance to match the fourth year. And the Brewers said, nah, we're cool. You know, knowing now that they were working on extending Yelich and they had to keep their, you know, their money lined up properly for uh, after three years. But yeah, for Justin, well, good for him is what I said on Twitter. Because that's a, a lot of money for a guy who would definitely not be making that much money in MLB in 2021. So, I just want to know if Smoke is going to end up with his own theme song from overseas. <laughs> I know this is a different league, um, but with those two on the same team, I mean, they could just be alternating three, four hitters uh, with their own, you know, back-to-back theme songs. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I, I think that'd be. Interesting to see. I, I don't. I don't know if Japan does that. I know Korea does, but Japan might not. Um, all right, Adam. Uh, one final thing uh, that we want to get to. So over the past couple of weeks, um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it on on Twitter and in general. We've been going over some of the top moments uh, in Miller Park history, uh, recounting the the stories um, of those days. So um, we want to ask you, what is your favorite? Miller Park moments over the last 20 years? Oh, man. Um, and I know you floated this to me, so I'd have a chance to think about it, and I did. And I, if I can if I can fence ride a little bit, uh, I, I have different eras, personal eras at Miller Park. Uh, when it opened uh, and just going there when I was a college student, going there as, an, as a, you know, a worthwhile adult contributing member of society, um, mm-hmm. Then I actually ushered there for a number of years, and then there's a third, uh, third stage as well. But for me, uh, thinking about those different stages, I went. I was there as a fan on CC Sabathia's first start. It was absolutely nuts in that ballpark. I was there for Trevor Hoffman's 600 save, and I'll never oh. forget the way that the uh, ballpark felt that night. Um, opening days were cool. The you know the opening of the stadium was cool. Um, I was actually working in section, let me think, 424, I believe it was, or was it 424 or 426? Uh, I think it was 424, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think it was 424 as an usher uh, for the Niger Morgan walk-off hit uh, in the NLDS. That was insane. 
uh, with confetti going crazy and fans just going at like one of the things I missed from the pandemic sidebar a little bit here. One of the major things I miss other than just being at the ballpark is high-fiving random strangers when good, good things happen <laughs> to my baseball team. Like I miss that so much. Just you know, random people, you know, making contact and, and being in that moment together emotionally. It's, it's one of the coolest things about being a fan at a live sporting event, in my opinion. Um, so those are probably uh, the the best moments that happens at the ballpark that I was there for uh, personally. Um, I'm glad I didn't go to the Carlos Zambrano no-hitter, although I'm sure that was a cool moment. Um, I skipped that one. But, um, yeah, it's been – thankfully, it's the same building. I know, obviously, the era with the name is coming to an end. Thankfully, it's the same building where more memories can happen. Um, but, yeah, it's – personally – for me, those are the biggest ones that I was at um, that really left an, an, an indelible mark uh, on my baseball fandom. Um, and then, yeah, my, my third phase of being at Miller Park um, was more of the, you know, inside uh, things. And just being able to, to, to do that uh, was cool for a little while. I was um, I was there as a member of the media for a number of years. Um, and just being able to to be around that atmosphere, that aspect of things, um, covering a postseason uh, in 2018, um, that was that was some cool stuff. So yeah, I mean, again, I know you wanted one Miller Park moment, and but yeah, <laughs> I think of different phases of me at Miller Park. Um, those are the the main ones that stand out for sure. I was also at CC Sabathia's first start at Miller Park, and we actually sat in the 200 level right near the right field foul pole. So when he hit uh-huh. a, that home run, we actually couldn't see it cross the fence. We're trying to look, and you, you can't quite see over. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts going nuts, and the fireworks go off, and all, we obviously realize what happened. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, this guy comes in, not only dominates, but also cranks a homer? Like... That was that game was unreal. It really was, really, really was. Yeah, CC's bathroom was unreal. I was at his final start um, in the regular season, at least um, in, in a Brewers uniform. Game one sixty two there in two thousand eight. That was an insane game uh, to be at for sure. Um, but yeah, a lot of really great moments, and you know, I, I think I, I said it in um, one of the the write ups on this. It's like even though the name on the outside of the stadium. Uh, the name on the outside of the building is going to change. The inside's not going to change. What like what matters is what happens on the inside. The memories you make on the inside uh, of that building, that's what matters. Who you share those memory memories with, that's what matters. Not the corporate sponsor on on the outside of the building. So as the name officially changes uh, starting on January first, I, I think that's just an important thing for for everyone to remember. Yeah, it, it's ironic. Uh, my wife's birthday is New Year's Day, and I'm hoping she gives me a chance to drive down to the stadium and see what they've done to the sign. If they've just covered it, if they've already removed it first thing in the morning, uh, I'm curious to see how uh, how rapidly they started that facelift because you know uh, American Family is going to want as they're going to want their name on the building. That's what they're paying for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably just they probably got a midnight crew or whatever, just like just just standing there waiting for the clock to strike midnight so that they can go up and take it down, uh, something like that. We're, we're, we're but after count, uh, count, count the sign takedown, that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a. I think it's a good spot to, to end for this week. Um, thank you, Adam, uh, for coming on uh, so much. I really enjoyed having you on the pod this week. Yeah, I appreciate the invites, uh, and I'm always happy to, to do something like this with guys that know what they're talking about, especially is helpful. Um, but yeah, feel free to invite me back, and hopefully we'll do this again sometime. It's always good to do a podcast. We are a friend Absolutely. of the podcast now. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you on again uh, at some point in, in 2021. We're finally almost there um so i'd like to thank uh thank all of you so much for listening to the cold brew podcast not only this week but uh throughout the whole year now it's been a lot of fun Uh, we appreciate all the support and and all our guests that we've had on like adam uh so that'll do it for this week uh so for adam for matt carroll i'm dave gasper saying thank you for listening and have a happy new year everyone